This is Blue Collar Culture, where you don't need ping pong tables, a cereal bar, or nap pods to attract and retain real A players. Join us for the next hour where we speak with down-to-earth leaders that understand what it takes to win with a blue collar culture. Now here are your hosts, Jeremy McLiver and Ryan England. Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan England, and I'm here with Jeremy McLiver. Welcome back, everybody. And I'm really excited about today's guest because she works with something inside of the organization that I am personally passionate about. Uh, she's one of the 65 most influential women in business. She's a top 30 global sales guru, an inductee into the Sales Hall of Fame, and she builds organizational strength by putting people first. So I can't, I am so excited about this, this conversation today. Uh, Deb Calvert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. I am so excited to be here. I have a, a little confession to make. I've, I've got like, I've got an earworm. It just keeps right. The stick song thinking about this podcast and <laughs> proud to be blue collar. Right. <laughs> so thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for being here. So let's just start off. We've talked a little bit. There are a lot of things that you impact inside of an organization, but it all comes down to one thing. What is that one thing? Oh, it's all about connections that you have with other people whether they're your employees or your customers or your banker, right? so much boils down to the connections that you make. So unpack that for me a little bit. Talk to me about the connections inside of the organization from let's say a business owner's or a senior leader's perspective. Okay, well, I think there are these myths that work against people. So let's unpack that first and get it out of the way. You hear things like leaders live in ivory towers or um, it's lonely at the top. And if it's lonely at the top, you're doing it all wrong because no matter what you're focusing on, processes, profits, procedures, all of those happen because of people. And if you connect with people, you can unleash the power of your organization and achieve all those other objectives that you might have and there are simple, easy, everyday ways to, to make those connections that have nothing to do with your title and other things that might get in the way, like those, those misperceptions uh, could cause you to, to lean away from people and not towards them. Hmm. So I've heard it said before, and I've actually seen this happen inside of businesses where leaders connect with people and they become friends with them. And then all of a sudden, there's this this change in the relationship. That's not what you're talking about. Is that correct? I'm, I'm glad you said that because let's think of this as a continuum, right? The, the far end of the continuum that we've already talked about is you don't know anybody. They're just numbers. You, you give them a paycheck and that's all you owe them and, and you have no connection. And the opposite is we're a family and we know each other and we hang out 24 seven and, and we are so tightly interwoven and connected but that too can become dysfunctional when it comes time to operate a business and make decisions that are good for the business and ultimately then for people. So if we're going to bring that continuum closer to the center, to the right place that you want to be, it's about healthy connections with people that serve the purposes of the business and meet the needs of the people without somehow compromising those connections and, and confusing them with non-workplace types of, of connections. So at a high level, that, that's the difference that I'm describing. Can you give me an example or maybe a success story where you've seen this happen, uh, something that 
really relevant our audience can relate to. Absolutely. So it is a good thing, a virtuous thing to care about the people who work with you and, and for you. And you want that to be demonstrated to them in the ways that, that show them you care about them, you want them to be a part of your organization, and you value what they do. Specifically, you do that by asking people's opinions, getting their input on the decisions that will affect them. You do it by checking in with them. Hey, how, does, how is this impacting the work I've asked you to do? Uh, what are your ideas for what we are, are about to, to launch, something different? Uh, what are you hearing from customers? You, you constantly have those kinds of exchanges that do what I call ennobling people. And that's a, a key word here. The end of the spectrum that is the negative end, the, the not enough end, is about enablement. I'm going to give you all the tools and the training and, and, and enable you to do the job. The opposite end of that is all ennobling. I make you feel worthy and important. I, I'm a servant leader. I, I do things only for you. We got to have both. Enabling and ennobling is the sweet spot. Hmm. That's that's really cool. So. How do I know where I'm at? Like, is, how do I assess where I'm at with that relationship with either my employees? Now, you said this goes to our vendors, to those things. Maybe just let's just focus in on the employees right now. How do I assess where I'm at on that continuum? Uh, great question, Jeremy. Um, I'll tell you where most people do it. It's when a critical incident pops up. And maybe you don't want to wait to get to this point, but you've probably already been there. So you can use that looking backwards to assess. A critical incident is any incident or situation where it's a crisis, a, a decision is going to have high stakes, high impact. And in those instances, what are you leaning toward? What are impulses telling you to do? Are they telling you to cut people off and it's business only? Or are they telling you to make it all about people, even at the significant loss to you and your business? Whichever way you're leaning probably gives you that, that self-assessment and gives you an indicator of how to get back to the center. You have to do both. What's good for this business is good for the people in this business. So that, that's, some, that's some great insight into how to know where you're at. Uh, what do you see is the best place to start with making these changes and realizing that I have to protect the business, but I got to create connection with my people? Like, How do you get started doing that? I think. Let me start out theoretically first again here, high level, and then we'll drill it down. I think it starts with an understanding of the difference of managing work and leading people. You, you have okay. to manage the work. That's the short term. Those are your objectives for today. That's getting work done through other people. And, and you can't forget to do that, even if you sometimes feel like a micromanager or even if sometimes you have to give people uncomfortable, candid feedback. That's essential. So you've got to manage the work. At the same time, you learn to lead people. To lead means uh, to guide, to show people a way forward to a new place, something bigger, something meaningful, a place where they might not have been before but, but want to be. And so as a leader, you have a vision and other people share in that vision and you express that vision. When you ask people to do things as a manager, you keep it in context with the vision. And people enlisted in that vision they see themselves in it, they're inspired by it, they want to work hard for it, and they'll do things, not because you told them to and you're a nag, but because they, <laughs> they genuinely want to take steps forward. Can you 
share a story that you've had with a success story that you've had with a client where uh, they've actually seen that happen. Maybe they did something simple. They didn't think it was going to be a huge impact, but the impact was just incredible. Yes. I'm going to tell you a story about a small company and they were a growing company. They grew plants that they then sold as transplants to other larger companies who would manufacture and, and distribute the whole crop. So this company, this growing company, they were very much about we manage. We have temporary workers. We tell them what to do. They come in here for the season and then they're gone and they just managed. And one of the things we did was developed a vision, a mission, and a set of values for the organization, primarily to get the people at the top, the ones who were full year workers, uh, aligned with each other because it was a mess. They, they were talking about all kinds of different things. And once that was all worked out, we incorporated it into their recruiting materials in English and Spanish and helped them in the interview process to start looking for people who shared those values and felt inspired by them, as well as understanding the mission and the vision. And the most significant thing they noticed first is the huge number, it was double digits, I don't remember the exact number, but the huge number of increases they got of people who came back the next season. They didn't have to start from scratch with recruiting. Mm. People remembered, they felt good, they felt a sense of belonging. And that reduced their costs of recruiting significantly. It made their job so much easier where their competitors were still scrambling. They had the, the people coming back. It's incredible what defining some values can do to an organization and create that sense of community and belonging for people. Uh, so I love that. Yes, and it sounds sort of um, it sounds sort of nebulous. It sounds sort of out there, you know. But it, it, it's more than something that's nice to have. It's something that differentiates you from your competitors and keeps even wage scale employees right there with you, locked up with you. Ryan, I almost couldn't agree more on this. What you said there resonates so much with the. Uh, it seems like a nice to have these core values and these core value conversations. But I have found, I remember one of my clients who's, they do groundskeeping, like landscaping stuff. And you would think core values in that setting. I remember them coming back one quarter and be like, these things are almost a killer, man. These, this is rough as, and not rough as in, they thought it was gonna be a soft, fluffy deal. And they realized how decisive these things help them make clarity around people, about decisions, and they started seeing the effects of it exponentially change the way that their company felt, communicated, aligned. It's really, it's a really cool thing. It is, you know, and, and what we're really, if we boil it down, Jeremy, we're talking about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic, I'm going to tell you, and you're going to do it because there's a negative repercussion. Or I'm going to give you, and you're going to do it because there's a reward, carrot and stick. The difference, though, with intrinsic is that you don't have to tell me or give me. I want it. I, I'm going to do it for myself. And, and it's the difference between lighting a fire underneath someone, and then you have to light it over and over and over again, or igniting a spark inside of them, one that's going to burn brighter and last longer. I think that's some, some great insight because what I see a lot of times is a lot of these business leaders, there's someone on their team that they're just not clicking with. They're just not, there's something not right. 
they're producing, they're okay, but there's just something that's tugging at them saying, this isn't the right person for the team. And I think a lot of times that comes down to the that internal spark like you're talking about. And I think those values are so good at igniting that spark. And if there's a values misalignment, maybe there's something that's just off. Like that's really what the business owner or the business leader is talking about. When they say there's something not right about this person, I just, I'm not excited they're on my team, but they do okay. It's because there's usually a value that's off and it's not keeping that spark lit. I, I say, I think of a time that I was giving a, a workshop and I'm sure you'll love this story. I was talking about there's there's a better purpose for your employees. Like there's some form of reason that they actually want to go to work besides money. And you know, I was making this case fairly strong and I started asking, you know, some for some different feedback from the audience. And while I was doing it, there was a guy in the back of the room who literally was like almost violently shaking his head. That's not the truth. And I mean, he stuck his hand up. He blurted over other people, said, my employees are only about the money. And he was like, I was like, oh, great. This talk is going off. We're getting ready to make a train wreck. And his one of his employees was sitting behind him that he couldn't see. And she was looking at him like he'd fallen off of a log. And, And she was like, no, I actually do want other things besides just money. I actually wanted to belong somewhere. And he could not get past the point that it was all dollars and cents, carrot and stick. We tend to project what's true for us. And we tend to emulate the environments we've been in. So if you've worked in a place where that's what it was all about, or if you happen to be one of the very small percentage of people who truly is only money motivated, uh, then maybe you would look at the world in that way. But then you're not ennobling people. So if step one is to understand what makes someone feel worthy and important, then you're going to find out like this person in your workshop did that there are other ways of of looking at this. Yeah. So let me ask you, I mean, as a manager, I'm faced with a situation. I'm not really clear where I'm at on this continuum. And I'm not sure. Do I go more like, hey, I just need the results right now? Or do I go more... I care about the person. Like if I'm teetering and I'm not sure where the balance is, how should I guide my decision? Yeah, you know, the truth is you need both. But if you're trying to figure out where you are and what to do next, I would say the one thing that will always help and never hurt is to ask people. So to go to the people on your team, your employees, maybe some others who work closely with you, some some close-in colleagues, And to say, I I want a better understanding of the impact I'm having. How do my actions affect the work I'm asking you to do? Don't ask for feedback that's way too broad because people won't know what to say and they won't tell you the truth. But this very narrow type of feedback, I want to know how my actions impact the work that you're doing. That is narrow enough and generally safe enough that people will give you feedback. And then, of course, you have to listen to it. You have to take it for what it's worth, not have some sort of defensive reaction to it. And understand that people are giving you the feedback because they genuinely want to help and they probably want to see something done differently for them. So to tell everybody, let let me put it in sequence. Here are the values we hold. This is how we do the work we do. Here's the mission and the vision. This is why we exist and where we're going. Now, in that context, 
I would like for you to be someone who's contributing in every possible way, not just uh, punching the clock. So how does what I do influence the work that, that you're doing? And that's a sense of belonging. And if people can trust that, and then you have a culture that, that over and over again feeds that kind of a conversation, it's a game changer. I love that. So the leader says, this is where we're going. They, they declare that vision. And then they turn to the people and say, how do we get there? How do, how do we move this forward as a team? Not necessarily because I don't know, but because I want your help. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, let me just throw in a couple of nuances there, Jeremy. First of all, instead of declaring the vision, even better, if you can make it a shared vision, people have informed it, they've given you input along the way, they feel a part of it, even as it's taking shape, because then they're truly mobilized by it. They want to help bring it to life. And then secondly, right, th those check-ins are really important, but the context is even more important. So every time I'm asking you to do something, it's not just do it because I said so, it's do it in service of this vision. In, in accord with what we are doing here together, this place we want to go. Very good. So tie down any of our actions to that vision. Yes. But help the, have them help us build help us build that vision together. What are some ways that that a, a manager or a leader can go from I give all the answers to I'm a supportive and we are more inclusive? Because a lot of times. What I've experienced and a lot of my clients is that when they take the shift and like, Deb, hey, I really want your feedback. The people that are their employees, their direct reports pretty much say, hey, boss, just give me the answer. And they, they find that it's hard to get that them to open up. What are some good questions they could ask? What are some ways that they could get their team members to open up? Okay, I'm going to do something else first because it's only fair. Uh, cool. We don't, you wouldn't have this kind of open learning invitation all the time. Sometimes the stakes are too high, the urgency is too great, and the person is too new or too not ready for some reason. So let's make that, put that in place first. The readiness of the person you're talking to and the situation itself uh, allows for, for learning. And every time that's true, if a mistake were made, it wouldn't be fatal. Uh, this person has demonstrated some readiness. In every one of those situations, it's about, you know, I already know the answer. I'm curious to know what you think. I, I already have an opinion. I need other people's opinions. What do you mean you're in here asking me how to solve this problem? It's your problem. How are you going to solve it? You, you just, you bite your tongue and you make it clear over and over and over again that your expectation is for people to try things, to think things through to make mistakes that they'll learn from and then don't overly penalize them if they do make a mistake so long as they learn from it. And when they make the mistake, you ask, okay, good thing we're not uh, you know, doing brain surgery here. Uh, what would you learn from this? What would you do differently next time? I think that's great. Pushing it back to them and helping them grow and helping them develop in their role and not just giving them the orders all the time. So. I want to shift this conversation yes. a little bit. Let's talk about some tangible results we can get. Because this stuff is great of uh, ennobling and, and helping them grow and everything else. But 
what do I get as the business owner out of this? What are some results that I can expect or how should I expect results when I make these changes and I start thinking differently about how I connect with my people? Okay. In the interest of time, I just want to say that everything I'm about to tell you is backed by reams of research and data <laughs> and uh, people could look this up and get it. But <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw a bunch at you really fast without exact factoids in it. Because what we've been talking about is employee engagement. And employee engagement is defined as the emotional connection a person feels for their organization that causes them to apply additional discretionary effort. Okay, two parts. First part is the emotional connection. So result number one is you get people who will stay with you longer because they're connected. They feel good about working with you. You won't have that revolving door of constantly having to screen applicants and interview people and hire people and train people just so they leave. So that's the first benefit. And of course that has a financial implication too. And then these emotionally connected people who are sticking around longer, they apply additional discretionary effort. And that's measured and has huge benefits in a lot of different ways. The first one is productivity by every known metric, calling in sick less often, less tardy, uh, less workplace, uh, workers' comp claims, higher output, higher levels of quality productivity, sales, and you, and you get a lot more of it. And because of that, then you get higher levels of customer satisfaction. Your customers are coming back more often. And when you add all these pieces up together, it means both significantly higher top line revenue, improved profitability. And, and this is like a domino effect and every bit of it's double digit backed by research, no small thing. Employee engagement is really important. One last piece of the puzzle, it, it, it begs the question, if I can get all of that from employee engagement, then how do I get employee engagement? <laughs> and that's what we've been talking about. Leadership, less than management. Leadership leads to employee engagement. Wow. So I, I'm hearing a lot of this and I'm like, whew, that sounds like a lot of work <laughs> to connect with my employees enough to engage them long enough to get these tangible results. What should someone expect if they start connecting better with their employees? Are they going to see immediate results? You'll see results pretty quickly as long as there's not extreme dysfunction and, and mistrust in the organization. And even that is not insurmountable. But it's simple things. And, and you know, we can give people behaviors that lead to employee engagement. I think that would be helpful. Uh, but it's simple things. It's things like checking in with people when they come into work. Hey, how was your weekend? What's new? How's the family? Right? Not in a barrage, but those kinds of questions on a regular basis that you genuinely are interested in, that you care. It's things like remembering that somebody really likes fishing. And, and so you mention that every once in a while. Mm. It's things like giving people feedback in a timely and constructive way so they don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again until the relationship itself is damaged. Simple, everyday kinds of things. That's great. So I can do these little things and it can't just be lip service. I want to be clear with that. People will see through that. Is that fair? That's fair. Um, if you have to fake it, you either have the wrong people or you have the wrong internal driver yourself in terms of, of what you're trying to do. It really does have to be people first that you have a mindset of I'm going to succeed because of the people I, I have here helping me. Absolutely. So when I start doing some of these things. Are there 
obvious signs that it's working. Like I, I want, I would put myself in a situation like I really do care about my people, but at the same time, I do care about my company because the healthier my company is, the healthier, uh, the more revenue, the more profit, the better I can take care of my people. What are some things that you can measure that will say, hey, connecting with my people is really paying off besides the bottom line? Because that's so lagging. It takes so long to figure that one out. What are some things that I could look at? Yeah, so back it up on that um, domino effect that I talked about. Look for your indicators in customer satisfaction. Look for productivity. Look at employee retention. And even before that, that emotional connection. Are people maintaining eye contact with you? Are they having some friendly banter with you? Are they uh, showing up to work on time, right? These are some of the, the things that if you had a baseline, you could easily start comparing very, very soon to see that you're on the right track. Cool. The small so, wins add up to the big wins. Absolutely. And I've heard it said before, if you have happy employees, you're going to have happy customers. So just starting with that piece is going to pay dividends in the long run. Yes. So I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity here and it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's this huge monumental thing where I have to completely restructure my organization. Like I can just do little things like ask people how their weekend was, uh, ask how their kid's birthday was, and just invest a little bit in them and just let them know that I'm paying attention and I care about them as a human being and not just an employee. I'm convinced that there's nothing on earth more powerful than human to human connections. So when we put on our employer boss hat, we just need to remember that it's all about connections with people. Absolutely. So I know there are people listening to this going, you know what, Deb, you're right. I need to do this, but I feel like I need some resources. I feel like I need some support. I feel like I need some training. You've got a website and I'm sure they can learn all about you and how you help companies do this. Uh, tell us about that for a second. What can I learn if I go look you up online? Okay. Well, there's um, a training program. It's built as an individual e-learning program that you can take and, and do on your own at any time that's convenient. It was built for people who are in business for themselves. It was built for people who don't um, really enjoy classroom settings. It's it's pretty uh, self-paced and it's about practical. Apply it right now, take a little chunk of it, go do it, come back, do it, come back. So that's one thing. That one's for sale. Let's do some free stuff too. There's uh, a book that I think we ought to give people. Uh, it's on Amazon, but we can give you a, a code to get on there and, and get it for free. Uh, it's called How to Be the Manager That Everyone Wants to Work For. And then we talked about this employee engagement checklist, which is also something we can do as a giveaway. And it literally is just a list of things. And you uh, customize it to yourself. You pick the ones that you're committing to do, and then you just go do them. It's a simple behavioral choice. That's awesome. And we're going to have that code in the show notes. So make sure you grab that. But how do they learn more about you? How do they find your website or if they want to learn more about the book before then? Yeah. Uh, so the website is People First PS. The PS stands for Productivity Solutions, peoplefirstps.com. And there's a lot on there, blogs and videos and a link to YouTube and, you know, all, all the things you, whatever your learning style is, uh, you'll find something there that, that we give away. Infographics, you name it, we've got it. That's awesome. I love that there's so much uh, resources available on your website. Deb, I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. 
uh, for this episode. And I really look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Jeremy. And thanks in advance for anybody who um, would like to give me a call and keep the conversation going. You're welcome to, to do that. I enjoy connections. And awesome. we recommend it. Thank you so much. It's great having you on. The Blue Collar Culture Podcast is sponsored by bluecollarculture.com. We help entrepreneurs create a healthy culture and build a self-managing business. To learn more, go to bluecollarculture.com.